You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. All right, good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? How's everybody feeling? Feeling good? Good? March. Can you believe it? We're in March already. It's crazy how fast that came. Hey, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're incredibly grateful to have you with us, especially if this is your first time, thanks for being here and being a part of this gathering. This is not everything that we do as a church, but it's an important part of what we do as a church, and so we're really thankful that you've joined us today. Uh, if you are new here, then you don't know that right now we have over 50 women up in the Woodland Park area on, a, on our women's retreat, first ever women's retreat here at Trace, and they're learning what it looked like over the last couple of days. They've been learning what it looks like to abide in Jesus, and they've been learning what it looks like to step out of isolation, especially as women with this kind of big Uh, problem in front of a lot of you ladies, which is this comparison to one another. They've been challenging that and what it looks like to actually live in community with one another. And so really quick, I want to say hey to all the ladies that are going to be watching this later. Maybe you're watching it right now. Thanks for tuning in. And I really do appreciate your investment in your faith and learning what it looks like to walk more deeply with Jesus. And with that being said, really quick, I should also let you know that my wife has been up there with them for the last two days, which means I'm a stay-at-home dad right now. And I had to get four kids ready for church this morning, all by myself, all by myself. And I need to say, yeah, you can clap for me. It's so sad. But hey, um, can we give it up for like single moms and dads who have to do this day in and day out? Or maybe it's you're a military family and you've got somebody deployed like (laughs) It is work, and I'm trying to think through all the things that I said to one of my four kids this morning. It's like, hey, stop wiping boogers on your brother. Hey, why do you have, like, why aren't your clothes on? I dressed you like five minutes ago. I don't care if you have to pee or not. Go sit on the toilet right now. Like, go, like it's funny what we say when we're just in a rush and we're trying to get kids out the door. And so, man, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my wife. I definitely uh, appreciate that sentiment of absence makes the heart grow fonder because there's a lot of truth to that. Hey, today we're kicking off this new series. It's going to be a three-week series called Money Talks. And although we're going to approach this conversation from several, several different angles, ultimately what I want you to be able to walk away with at the other end of this series is a clear understanding of God's heart for our finances, God, God's heart for money. I mean, there's a reason. Like, why did God feel it was necessary to have over 2,300 verses on the subject of money in the Bible? Now, before we even look to God's word for wisdom on this subject, we likely already know, like we, we likely don't have to look too far to understand that money just on its own by itself comes with a certain amount of division, right? I think money has the tendency to cultivate conflict. This is why we see one of the number one reasons for divorce has to do with financial reasons. This is why we see families fall apart on the other end of inheritances. And for what it's worth, um, that happened to my family. Uh, on my mom's side of the family, when her parents both passed away and an inheritance was left, um, it got really, really nasty. Lawsuits involved in what once was a really close family. I mean, I grew up with my cousins and my aunts and uncles going on vacations together, has now completely broken apart. So I've seen this, I've seen it firsthand. I don't think we have to look far to understand that cult- um, money has a tendency to cultivate conflict. And when we have an unhealthy pursuit of money specifically, the things that we don't know will happen in the process of sacrifice on this pursuit, this unhealthy pursuit of money. Oftentimes, we end up sacrificing family. We end up sacrificing friendships. And sometimes, we even end up sacrificing our faith. And so, this is a subject that we very much need to lean in and talk. Specifically, the subject of money is a subject that we don't like talking about. I mean, generally speaking, it's not uncommon for people. Generally, we like talking about money. We don't like talking about how much we make, how much we spend how much we give away. 
And to some extent, like we should probably kind of, could be possible that our enemy has a foothold here. That our enemy, like that anytime that this comes up, he's whispering to you, hey, don't let anybody tell you what to do with your stuff. Like, don't let anybody tell you what to do with your money. That's hard-earned money. You, you earn that. You can do with it whatever you want. And maybe this, is, maybe this is a bigger issue for us or you than you've given credit to in the past, which is why one of the main takeaways I want to have in this entire series comes back to this. It's God's to give and yours to manage. In other words, everything that you have, everything, Everything you have belongs to God. You're simply managing it for him. You've got a little bit of time that he has given you to manage whatever resources he's allowed. It goes through his, his hands first, and then it goes to your hands. And whatever he's allowed to go through our hands, we're managing it for him. And friends, to a great extent, money is not a physical and financial issue. Listen to me. Money is very much a spiritual issue. We cannot divorce our faith from our finances. They are inseparable. Now, we know, we know what the world wants us to think about money, right? I think we get this. We know that the world, uh, when it comes to money, they want us to think, hey, just be a consumer. Consume whatever you want, buy whatever you want, so that you can be comfortable. But you know what comfortable or comfort has never done for me? It has never moved me to action. Comfort has never compelled me to initiate and do something great for the kingdom of God, which is why I want to know, and hopefully you want to know, God, what do you think? Like, God, what, what is it you want me to know about money? And more importantly, how do you want me to manage the money that you're going to allow to go through my hands in this little bit of time that I'm on this earth? And it's just a little bit of time, right? James talks about how our life is fleeting. It's here one day and gone the next. It's like a mist. And guys, let me be really clear. For any of you that are already like on your heels a little bit, uh, the first thing that I would tell you is this. Um, today is not going to be about you giving to the church. There's, there's no, going to be no strong plea. I'm not going to say, and because of that, you need to give everything you, know, you have to the church. This is all going to be, the, the, the entire motive behind this particular sermon is about your posture, your perspective, and your pursuit of money. And are you doing those three things in the way that God wants you to? And specifically on this subject, it is very important. And so again, just in case you're on your heels, let me remind you of something that I said last week. If we don't want to hear about what Jesus talked about, then we don't care about what Jesus cared about. Can I say it again? If we don't want to hear what Jesus talked about, we don't care about what Jesus cared about because Jesus cared a lot and said a lot on this subject. Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined, more than faith and prayer combined. 11 out of his 40 parables were on the subject of money because he knows and he knew that money, listen to me, money's going to be the biggest competitor for your heart. And so he had a lot to say on this subject. And interesting enough, the maddest that we ever see Jesus get, now we don't think of Jesus being mad very often, do we? But the maddest that we ever see Jesus get is actually over the subject of money. In John's gospel in chapter 2, I'll set the context for you, uh, Jesus comes into the courtyard where the temple is. It's a few days before Passover, and he notices that people are taking advantage of the fact that it's Passover, and so they start selling things for their own benefit. And here's what Jesus does. It says, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. It's not an image we think of Jesus a lot, is it? He drove out the sheep and the cattle and the cats. I just added that. Scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor, 
and he turned over their tables. Kind of challenges this picture that we often have of Jesus, doesn't it? You see, when it, when it came to money, when it comes to money, Jesus is incredibly passionate about this subject because of what it has a tendency to do. But let me be really clear up front. This is not about today, and I'm going to say this several times. This is not about you not being able to have money or it's not okay to have money. It's not okay to possess things. Uh, it's not about that. It's what we do with them and how we pursue them and what we, what we think is ours sometimes when it actually belong, belongs to God. So let me do this. Uh, the two questions that I hope that you can take away today or that you can answer clear today would be this. God, why is this subject so important to you and why should it be important to me? God, why is this subject so important to you and why should it be important to me? So I'm gonna pray that we get those questions answered today and that there's clarity on that for your life and that God gives you a clear next step on what this means for you personally. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump into our text. Uh, Father, um, I know that this subject can, can raise tension and the more that I spend time on learning about this subject myself, the more that I see that that is, a, that is a foothold of the enemy, God, that very much the enemy has seen that this is an opportunity for him to cause divisiveness between you and between us. And I think the best way that he's been able to accomplish that is by convincing us that it's ours. It's not yours. It's ours. And if it's ours, then we can do whatever we want to with it. But if it's yours, that means we're simply stewards of your stuff. And there's a certain way that you want us to use your stuff. And so, God, I pray that you just give us a posture of learning today, of wanting to know your heart, and ultimately wanting to take a step closer to what it is you want for us and your money. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in Matthew chapter 6, um, we're going to find Jesus in the middle of what is known as his Sermon on the Mount. This is likely a sermon he preached several times. And if you're new to church, almost think of, think of it like the State of the Union address, but instead of just addressing one nation, he's addressing all nations. And what he's talking about is how this new kingdom that he's bringing into this world is really kind of flipping everything upside down. In the future, uh, we may do a series called The Upside Down Kingdom. It's a great book. If you ever want to pick up a great book on understanding all the things that Jesus kind of flipped on its head, uh, read the book Upside Down Kingdom. And this is what we see happening as Jesus is teaching through this very popular sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, or should I say um, this State of the Kingdom Address. And so in the middle of this, in Matthew chapter 6, he begins to approach the subject of money. Let me show you what he says. Verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. The way that I would sum up that for you really quick would be this. There are ways to invest what you have that will be incredibly temporary. Very, very temporary. But there's also a way to invest what you have that will make a more eternal impact. And then he goes on to this incredible, a big statement. If you've been in the church a while, you probably, you probably heard this statement. You've heard it taught on. But let's stay engaged because I think there's something new that God wants to teach us today. Verse 21, for where your treasure is. In other words, your treasure is somewhere. For every single, your treasure is somewhere. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus uses money as a tool to reveal our true priorities in life because he knows how enticing wealth can be and how this world is trying to convince us that life consists of the abundance of possessions. 
I mean, honestly, isn't that true? Like, he who dies with the most toys wins. I'm sure you've heard the statement before. And our possessions, again, I've already said this, but they're not bad. Like, our possessions aren't bad until they begin to possess us. Think of it this way. When Jesus is talking about how our treasure goes somewhere, and if our treasure is wherever our treasure is, our heart is going also. Think of it this way. For those of you that have a 401k, and you're invested in the stock market. Now, by the way, it wasn't a good week for us, was it? Um, but if, for instance, like there's hundreds, maybe even thousands of stocks that you could potentially invest in, and you could, couldn't care less about most of those stocks until you become invested. Once your money goes into one of those stocks, then you start to care, don't you? Then you start to look at it, and you want to know, man, is, is, it, <clears throat> excuse me, is it growing? Is it declining? And that's just a sm- small illustration of where our treasure is. There our heart will be also. And maybe you've heard me say it this way before. What you love the most will get the most of you. But I could also say it like this. What you have, or maybe I should say what you hold on to, illuminates your heart. In other words, you can tell me and you can tell others all day long what it is that you value. But let me get a little invasive. You ready? Your bank statement is probably the more accurate assessment of what you value. So I think ultimately what Jesus wants us to wrestle with when it comes to this subject is this. What is our motivation? Like, what is the motivation behind our money? Is it just more stuff, more toys, more vacations, bigger houses, fancier cars? And listen to me, none of these things are bad by themselves. A spirit of poverty is what makes us feel guilty for having things. I'm going to talk about this more next week when we look at the subject of greed. And the spirit of poverty says, oh, because you're a follower of Jesus, and especially for people in my position, because you're a pastor, because you're in full-time ministry, you shouldn't have any nice things. And I believe that's a lie from the enemy. I think it's okay to have nice things. I think it's okay to have stuff. I I think it's okay to make a lot of money until those things begin to own us, until what we possess begins to take the place of possessing us. And so I want us to look into this. I want us to lean into this conversation because what we have, listen to me, what we have or what we want to have has the ability to hijack our hearts. So can I ask you a hard question? If someone were to look at your bank statements right now and you weren't there to defend yourself, you weren't there to say, yeah, yeah, but but the reason that's there... What would, they, what would be the natural conclusion they would come to on what you value the most? You see, as we go through this life, I think back to Solomon and what he said. Uh, we're going to have a lot of different things that go through our hands, possessions, money. And Solomon says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. And again, Solomon being someone, a man who experienced extreme amount of wealth, more than we could ever imagine, got to the other end of his life, and he kind of looked at it, and he said, I learned that when I lived like this, like it's all mine, I can do with it whatever I want. Don't tell me what to do with my stuff. When I lived this way, I lived in toil. And he said, better one handful, like God you're going to entrust some things to me, and some of these things are going to be for my enjoyment. Some of these things you're just going to say, yeah, just enjoy this. I want you to enjoy life and live in the abundance of life. And he says, so better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. Because when we go through life living like this, listen to me, it should be one of the most elevated warning signs that our heart is being deceived, that our heart is being hijacked. Maybe that's why Solomon said this. 
above all else, because I've been there, above all else, guard your heart, because everything you do flows from it. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read to us a parable today um, that Jesus gives on this subject. And before I read that parable, I'm going to say two statements that are incredibly strong. And if you've never heard anything like this, it's going to catch you off guard a little bit. But I need to let you know that I believe what I'm about to tell you 100%. Here are the statements. I believe there are some things that God won't do for you if he doesn't have your heart. I believe there are some things that God will not do for you if he doesn't have your heart. And God will determine the health of your heart by how you hold your money. Let me say that differently, by how you hold his money. In other words, depending on how you're walking through life right now, if you're walking like this, don't tell me what to do with my stuff. I believe there's things that God is just immediately not going to do for you because when you go through life holding his possessions like this and not looking and saying, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? I believe there are things that he will not do for you. And so to back that up, I want to read to you a parable that Jesus uses that will highly emphasize exactly what I just said. And can I just tell you that, my, again, my motive on the front end of this, I wouldn't be a good, a good pastor if I didn't say this. I want God to entrust more to you. But I can easily say that he will not if you're living your life like this. So let me read this parable, and then we'll discuss a few uh, takeaway points from it. It's going to be in Luke chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along. If not, you can follow on the screens. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, Man, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. In other, word, in other words, he's kind of assessing his situation, like, what am I going to do next? And then he goes, ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. If I could sum that up, this shrewd manager is saying, I've just got a little bit of time. i just got a little bit of time left with a little bit of opportunity. How can I leverage that to make the greatest impact? And maybe you could identify with this manager. Maybe up until today, you've been living like this. And maybe today's an opportunity for you to see with a new lens, a new perspective, that your posture and that your perspective and that your pursuit of money has been more of this than it has been of this. So this manager says, okay, I got a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity. What am I going to do? In verse 5, so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come in and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 100, or I'm sorry, 1,000 bushels of wheat was the reply. Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true, this is interesting, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. And then Jesus said, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others. In other words, in the little bit of time that you have, a little bit of time and just a little bit of opportunity, live like this. Allow me to be a part of the process of how these things flow, excuse me, flow through me 
into you, or into you and how you can leverage that influence to make an impact in others' lives, to benefit others and to make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now, can I pause here for a second? Because what I don't want to communicate today at all is that this is kind of some prosperity gospel message where it's like, hey, if you just live in a certain way, God's going to bless you and he's going to give you the Mercedes Benz and the big house on the hill and everything that you ever wanted. Because there is theology out there that says that. There's theology out there that says God wants every single one of you to be rich. We don't see that in the New Covenant. We don't see that in the New Testament. So when we get to this word, uh, he will trust you with the true riches of heaven. It could be financial. I believe when we live like this, when we show God, God, I'm going to be a good steward of your stuff because it's not mine. So how do you want me to use your stuff? And when we follow through on what we think it is that he wants us to do, I think God entrusts us with more. Now, more could be, it could be, it could be finances, but it also could be an occupation. It could be influence in different areas and arenas of life. It could be position. It gives you a certain position in life to to be able to make a bigger impact and resources you to be able to do that. I, I don't know what true riches of heaven are. I just know that they're promised to you when you show to be a faithful steward. Let's finish the verse. And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? Here's what I know. I know that God wants to do things for you. I know that there are things that God wants to give you, opportunities that he wants to trust you with. And listen to me, the greatest litmus test he will use with whether or not to trust you with true riches is how you're managing his stuff right now. Ultimately, this comes down to our posture, our perspective, and our pursuit of what it is that he has already given us and trusted us with. Because with the right posture, with the right perspective and with the right pursuit, I believe you will set yourself up to be used by God in bigger and more powerful ways. But the biggest obstacle working against you and me is how well we're managing God's stuff right now. Because money, listen to me, money is going to be the biggest competitor for our hearts, which is why Jesus concludes with a very strong statement as he concludes this parable. He says, listen, no one, everybody say no one. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. Interesting, a Greek word there, you've probably heard me teach on this if you've been coming for any amount of time. The Greek word that we see for money here is the word mammon, which actually means the God of money the God of money, and that's a distinction that you need to make as we describe what this means. You see, money has the potential to blind us to our genuine needs. When we have access to capital, many of life's frustrations and concerns can be mitigated. And this is exactly why Jesus is warning us to be careful here, because money or mammon is trying to convince you that he can take God's place. I can do everything for you that God is saying he can do for you, and our enemy knows this. This is why he continues to whisper in our ear. He knows that money's going to be the biggest competitor of our, <clears throat> of our heart. So his strongest play 
is to get you to look to money for the things that you should only be looking to God for. Mammon says, you don't need God. I can offer you everything that he can. Power? Sure. Position? Absolutely. Security, hope, identity, opportunity, joy? Yep, I can do all of those. You don't need God. Just keep coming to me. Keep living your life like this. I believe this is one of our enemy's strongest plays. And so we're enticed. And the pursuit of money becomes a bigger and bigger priority of our life. But what we often don't see is in this unhealthy pursuit of stuff and more money, what we don't see on the front end of that are all the unhealthy sacrifices that we're going to have to make to get it. What we don't see are a lot of the unwise decisions that we're going to make in the pursuit of wealth. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you guys have ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah, yeah, life-changing experience, right? I've got four kids, so I've had my fair share of birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese, and so if you have kids, you kind of know what that routine has been like. You get there, and they're like, Dad, Dad, you know, we need some tokens, and so you kind of buy the token package, and you know, here's 20 bucks, and whatever it is, and so they go off with their tokens, and they go and they play these games. They're playing skee-ball, and they're pulling levers, and they're doing all these things, and on the other end of playing a lot of these games, they get what? They're receiving something. Yeah, they're getting tickets. They're getting tickets, and they know, man, there's going to be a point. This is going to culminate to the end of an experience where we're going to go into this store, and we're going to buy something. We're going to get something with these tickets, and so they keep coming back to mom and dad, and it's like, can I have 10 more bucks? I just need 10 more bucks, because if I get 20 more tickets, then I'm going to be able to get this lip balm that has frozen on it. How ridiculous is this? Like, I could have bought you 4,000 of these for the amount of money I just gave you to get those tickets. And that leads me to a very, very, very important point. Maybe the biggest takeaway point. Children do what feels right. right? Children do what feels good. Adults devise a plan and follow it. Can I say it again? Children do what feels good. But adults devise a plan and follow it. In church, there is no greater area there is no greater area of your life where you need to be in, more intentional about devising a plan. Can I say it again? There is no greater area of your life where you need to be intentional about devising a plan, a plan that will honor God with your finances and then follow through with it. You cannot, I'm gonna give you a lot of definitive statements here. You ready? You cannot sit in the middle on this. You can't sit in the middle on this. You're either going to tell your money where to go or money is going to tell you where to go. With everything that you do, you're either serving the purposes of God or the desires of self. So just like the shrewd manager, you're going to have to determine. I've got a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity. It's your choice. You can absolutely go through this life doing this if you want. But I'm giving you a promise today that God will entrust you with very little. You can go through your life this way. And I still think this is healthy, right? This is healthy. When I think back to what Solomon was saying, he's like, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. Still a good way to live, and, it's like, and, and I'm not saying it's a wrong way to live. But what if, what if we went through our life like this? God, I know that everything I have is mine. I wouldn't even have it if you didn't give me the opportunity to have it. You've entrusted me with something, and that's possessions, and it's money, and what we do with this will either build our little kingdoms or it'll build God's kingdom. And so potentially, 
the thing that I would want you to wrestle with the most as you leave here today would be this. God, what, what do you want me to do with your stuff? God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? You got a house? Great. I'm not even saying you shouldn't have a really nice house. As long as you're, you're being wise with your resources, you're not committing yourself to something that you can't follow through with, but it's God's house. So what would that look like? God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? Do you want me to open my home up more and be more hospitable to welcome people into my house, maybe neighbors, maybe people around my dinner table that are going through a difficult time? Do you want me to open up my home to, to house one of us small groups from Trace Church so they can come in? I can be a host home because you've given me this beautiful home that I can open up. It can be used for your good. That's one of the things that Emily and I have done. God, we want this place, we want this house to be a breeding ground for ministry. Uh, not too long ago, I bought a truck. For those of you who know me really well, like that was a big deal to me. I've been wanting a truck for the longest time. It wasn't a brand new truck. It's a six-year-old truck. had 80,000 miles on it, but it was new to me. And I'm reminded it's not my truck. It's God's truck. And so if one of you came up to me and said, hey, Aaron, can I borrow your truck? I'd say, let me pray about it. <laughs> but I'd let you borrow my truck. But listen to me, because let's, let's, let's go layer deeper here. If you misused my truck, then I probably wouldn't let you borrow it again because I wouldn't be a good steward of God's stuff if I allowed you to take something and misused it, right? What we have is not ours. It's gone through God's hands into our hands and we've got a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to use it in a way to make a much greater impact than what you could ever do with it. In your hands, you are gonna be able to do very little, but in God's hands, he can do incredible things with what he has already entrusted to you and you're opening your life up to even bigger and greater blessings. Let me give you one more example. In the coming years, my wife and I would love to get a cabin up in the mountains. Uh, we're definitely not there yet, but we'd like to get a little cabin up in the mountains. And when that happens, it'll be one of those opportunities where we're reminded, that's not ours. If we ever have enough resource to where we can actually do that, God had provided that resource for us and so we're going to come right back to the table. God, how do you want us to use your cabin? One of the things that some of you don't know, I'm a part of a, a group called Orchard, and it's a bunch of church planters all around the nation and really all around the world, and I got to meet with a bunch of them in January. And there was a common echo that I kept hearing from dozens of these guys. I'm tired. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah, this position can be very hard. And I don't know if you know this, but we, we live in one of the most tranquil places on earth. We, we, we live in one of the most beautiful places in this nation. And so if I had a cabin, I'd be calling all those guys, you, you need to get away, man. You need some time for you and your wife just to get away, to allow God to replenish your soul. Because we got a spot for you. You see, when we live like this, God takes what we have, what he's entrusted to us, and he multiplies it. Again, I'm not talking about financial blessing necessarily. And so let me get selfish for a second. What if, church? What if God looked down on Trace Church and he didn't just see me and he didn't just see you, but he saw a group of people that were living like this that he said, you know what? I can entrust that church with more. 
I can entrust them with more. What could possibly happen to our individual lives, but to us as a church, if we were living in such a way, living like this, God, we know that everything we have belongs to you. And so God began to entrust us with bigger and greater things, bigger and greater blessings to the point to where we made a huge impact in the city that when each of us close our eyes for the last time, whatever was in our hands is able to continue, the impact from it is able to continue far beyond our lives because we didn't walk through life like this. What if, Trace, we lived in such a way where God said, I will pour out my favor on that church because I can entrust them with more. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, God, I don't know where everybody is on this subject. I know that uh, they're going to be all over the place. There are going to be some people in here that maybe that's the first time they've ever even heard that kind of language, that what they have is actually not theirs, it's yours. They wouldn't have it unless you allowed them to have it. It went through your hands first. And so, Father, first I pray that we would walk away with a very clear posture and perspective and pursuit of the money that we have in our life and understanding that it's yours and just keep coming back to that question, what do you want us to do with your stuff? The second thing that I would ask God is that we would become worthy of being entrusted with more, that we would live open-handedly, that we would live in such a way that gave you every reason to continue to pour out blessing on us, an opportunity on us to live in such a way that we can make a greater impact. And God, none of us are promised tomorrow, so maybe some of us shut our eyes for the last time tomorrow. Maybe it's 20 years from now. But what if we, God, let me ask that differently. Would you show us how to live in such a way now that even when our life is demanded of us, the impact that we were able to make with the stuff that you put in our hands will far outlive us? God, that's the kind of eternal treasure that we want our lives to represent. And so, Father, I pray that you would show us clearly what is our next step in this conversation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of response right now. And um, Would you wrestle with that question? Would you be willing to ask God right now, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? And again, I, hopefully I was clear about this. It's not about you giving to the church. Uh, is there a component of that? Sure. Um, one of the things I was going to talk to you guys more about this morning, I decided to leave out, was a budget. You know what a budget does? It tells your money where to go instead of your money telling you where to go. Because when you sit down and you budget and say, I'm going to spend this much money on this and this, and some things you know you can't control, you've got expenses. And one of the things that Emily and I did several years ago is we put together a generosity budget. It goes above our giving. We, we've always set aside 10% to go to the church. That's been an automatic for us. But it's like, God, what would living generously look like? In other words, if you show us an opportunity to be a blessing in someone else's life, we want to be prepared to be that blessing. And so we says, okay, let's set aside some money where we can be a blessing to other people. And then it's, you know, different things. Maybe you've heard me say this. I think it's healthy to give our money to who owns our heart and what breaks our heart. And so my wife's mom had breast cancer several years ago, almost lost her life. And so uh, we give to St. Jude because people going through cancer, it breaks our heart. We've seen it. And so there's different, several different things in a budget says, you know what, I'm going to be intentional about this, but listen to me. It's also going to give you an opportunity to say, God, does that look okay? I got a plan now. Remember, kids do what feel, feels good, but adults devise a plan and follow through, it, <clears throat> follow through with it. God, is this, this is your stuff. Does this look okay? 
and for the things that I've already paid for, maybe the things that I already possess, how, do you, how does this look like my home, my, my vehicles, my cabin, my cars? What would it look like for me to live more like this with your stuff? I believe all of us can take a step more in that direction today. And so I would just encourage you to wrestle with that. What does that look like for you? Now, this is also a very intentional time where we want to celebrate in something called communion. If you're new here to Trace, uh, we do this every week. And at the stations around the room where you'll see a cross, there is a cracker that represents the broken body of Jesus. And we dip it in a cup of juice that represents his blood. And we remember that through his sacrifice about 2,000 years ago, that uh, through forgiveness and through repentance and through saying, God, I'm investing my life in you. Like I'm handing my life over to you. It's in your hands now. By doing that, that we receive his grace. Grace literally means the unmerited favor, meaning you can't do anything to earn it and you don't deserve it. But God says, if you'll, if you'll accept what my son did for you and the fact that he spilled his blood so your sins could be forgiven, you can have new life today. And so if you've never made that decision, I would encourage you to come find us out at guest services, come talk to us, sign, uh, fill out the seat back, I'm sorry, the connection card in the seat back pocket in front of you, just let us know like, hey, I wanna talk more about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. Had a conversation with a young lady on Saturday who's ready to give her life to the Lord. She's gonna be baptized next week. Never gets old, that's why we do what we do. And so if you wanna have a conversation about that, uh, please come talk to us. And then for those of you that walked in those doors today, I'm gonna just kind of try to identify with where some of you may be. You walked in through those doors today and you heard that I was gonna be talking about money and you're like, crap. It's the last thing I wanna hear right now. Because if you knew what I was going through, if you knew what I was walking in this room with, if you knew what I was shouldering, uh, you would know this is not what I need to hear today. And I pray God still use that. He does that, doesn't he? I pray God still uses that message. I pray he uses the song. I pray he uses this moment to be able to allow you to, if nothing else, feel his presence, to feel the fact that he has not given up on you, that he's still pursuing you, that he still wants good things for you. And so if that's you and you want to kind of let that be known, we've got some prayer tables in the back. Feel free to go back there and you can write that out. We'd love to pray for you if you want us to reach out to you and talk more about whatever it is you're walking through in life right now. We're available, I promise you. We're a church that's always going to be available. So I'm going to pray for us right now. And then I just pray this time is whatever not only you need it to be, but what God needs it to be for you, okay? Father, we want to give you this moment right now, and we want to hear from you. And so we're listening. Father, uh, I've learned that almost, almost always you're trying to get a message through to us, that you're trying to reveal something to us, that there's something that you want to affirm in us, but it's often the things and the way that we're living our life that kind of puts a barrier between us and you. And so God, would you just allow this to be a barrier breaking moment and that the people in this room could hear from you clearly on next steps that they need to take when it comes to using your stuff and managing your stuff, or maybe it's just something entirely different. God, this is your moment. So I pray your Holy Spirit just moves powerfully in this room. God, may we feel your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to respond.